Shalom, and welcome to Via Hafta Yisrael, a Hebrew phrase which means you shall love Israel. We hope you'll stay with us for the next 30 minutes as our teacher, Dr. Baruch, shares his expository teaching from the Bible. Dr. Baruch is the senior lecturer at the Zera Avraham Institute based in Israel. Although all courses are taught in Hebrew at the Institute, Dr. Baruch is pleased to share this weekly address in English. To find out more about our work in Israel, please visit us on the web at loveisrael.org. That's one word, loveisrael.org. Now, here's Baruch with today's lesson. Well, we have been studying for several weeks concerning the offerings that first were in the Mishkan or the Ohel Moed, the tabernacle. And then, of course, the same type of sacrifices were offered up in the temple. And obviously today, we have no altar. And that is a highly significant truth. It has most important implications for it. But we also know something, that Messiah, that he offered up his life. It was perfectly offered up, and God received that sacrifice and the blood of his son that we might experience this redemption, this perfect restoration, this eternal reconciliation through him that we might be one with God. And therefore, what we're doing and have been doing is to look at these various sacrifices and offerings. And in our understanding of them, we see an aspect of the ministry of Yeshua. That is what he did upon that cross in order that we might have, might have the perfection of all these offerings through his sacrifice that we might experience the outcome of what these sacrifices once would bring now we have it in a perfected form by him in our behalf he is good and as we say he is worthy to be praised well take out your bible and look with me to the book of leviticus and chapter 7 the book of Leviticus and chapter 7. We'll begin where we left off last week. Obviously, we began chapter 7 a week ago, and now we're ready for verse 11. And notice what it says. We begin in that verse, verse 11 of Leviticus chapter 7, where it says, This is the law of the peace sacrifice. Now, we've come across, as we have made notice of in previous studies, we are repeating some of these different offerings and sacrifices. We've come across them earlier in the book of Leviticus, and now additional information is being given to us. We see the foundation has already been laid in these earlier chapters, And I've made mention when we looked at the peace offering that that oftentimes it is in the plural. And why is that? Well, because we're dealing with abundant peace. And peace is related to restoration, reconciliation to God. It's also related to his will being manifested in our life. What a great thing. And therefore, as God works in our life, 
it is important to recognize that as God brings that wholeness, as God ministers to us through his spirit and through the ministry of others. I'm blessed by many people who minister to me, who teach me, instruct me, sometimes convict me, encourage me, whatever it may be. And as I experience God's faithfulness, his workmanship in my life, whatever the means might be, we want to respond to him. And one of the ways that this was done was through a peace sacrifice. And what we see here, look again at verse 11. And this is the law of the sacrifice of peace. And it's in the plural, this abundant peace, which he will offer unto the Lord. So we're going to be getting the instructions, the law of this specific one. Now, sometimes a peace offering was was offered up with thanksgiving that God had done just what we talked about in our call to worship, that he had delivered, he had rescued, that he had preserved our, our earthly life, he had delivered us from some attack, or perhaps... We're simply thankful to him for some other thing that he's done. And therefore, there was that peace offering. God, you have worked mightily to bring about this this peace, this comfort, this, this wholeness in my life. I've experienced your abundance, and I want to offer this up also. And here's the key. Look at verse 12. If concerning a thanksgiving is his offering that offering that that this one is going to make of it it says and he shall offer it as a thanksgiving offering and he should do so with chalot now most of you know that chalot is a type of bread and here we could just translate it with the word loaves so chalot is a specific bread for Shabbat, but here it's being used in a a generic way for simply loaves. And here we have unleavened bread mixed with oil. And not only that, but also there's going to to be wafers or small thin cakes of matzot, this unleavened bread which is anointed with with oil and it also says that it's going to be offered up with a finely ground up uh, flour and this is going to be because it has oil in it you are going to to scald it that is heated up very hot and we find that the the halot these loaves are going to be mixed with oil verse 13 concerning these loaves And we have to remember something. If you go back, and let's do that, go back, if you would, to chapter 2 of of the book of Leviticus and verse 11, where it says, Every grain offering which you, and it's in the plural, you all, meaning the children of Israel, shall offer up to the Lord. It says, Lo ta'ase chametz. It shall not be offered up with with leaven and i made mention to you that that in the tabernacle and in the temple thereafter there was not leaven everything was unleavened 
But this had to do with those things that were part of the sacrificial service on the altar. Now, what we see here is that these loaves that are also presented, and if you look at the rabbinical commentary, for some reason that they will say there's many of these loaves, and they were not brought with the offering, they were made and and carried to this place, the tabernacle or the temple, but they were not brought into the temple or tabernacle area. It was for that individual that as he gives thanks to God, he would partake of them and also we would see others among the priests could also partake of these leaven loaves of bread but they were not placed upon the altar and why is that important well look at verse 13 back in chapter 7 of leviticus concerning these loaves it says lechem chametz lechem is bread chametz would be in this case leaven so leaven bread he will offer up his offering and the implication is when he offers up his offering he has these and and concerning the sacrifice of the the thanksgiving offering with what his peace offering so they are part of the process but they are not brought into the altar area it says look at verse 14 and he will offer from it one from every type of offering which is a donation unto the lord for and he gives us in regard to these various sacrifices and we'll talk about that towards the end why it speaks in this way one from his his offering that it's a donation to the lord for it's to the lord but who receives it the priests the one who will the one who is throwing it's in the the present participle the priest that is throwing the blood of the peace offering it says to him it will be what will be well just what we said here that that one from this offering is going to be for the priest who does that specific work and it gets clearer on what we're talking about look now to verse 15 and the flesh so the meat portion the flesh of this sacrifice of thanksgiving of his peace offering so it's accompanied these two the peace offering with the thanksgiving offering it says the flesh of of these two on the day that he offers it he will eat it but not allow it to remain until morning so specifically we see here in regard to these two they are not allowed to remain until morning but look at verse 16 this is for one of these peace offerings that accompanies with it a thanksgiving offering it has one rule don't allow the meat to remain until the morning but look at verse 16 if it is a nadir what's nadir a vow making a vow with it or a donation 
This is the sacrifice of his offering. On the day that he offers up with this sacrifice, he may eat it. So that is nothing new. That's what we just saw. On the day he offers it up, he can eat of it. But notice if it is simply a donation, what is called a nedava, or a nader offering, a vow offering, there's something different. It's the same thing on that first day he may eat of it, but also look at the second part of verse 16. U mi macharat, meaning, and on the next day, that which remains from it, he may eat. So in this case, if it's simply a donation or it's a vow that he's making, this is his offering, then he may eat of it, not just on that day he makes it, but also on the next day he may also do so. Verse 17, And that which remains from the flesh of the sacrifice on the third day, any that remains, any that is not consumed, what must happen? Ba'esh yitzaref, meaning it must be burnt up with fire. So none on the third day. If it's the standard one, a thanksgiving offering is his peace offering. It must be partaken of that day on the day he offers it. If it is a different type of offering, one that he makes a vow or simply a regular donation that he makes with this peace offering, then there's an extra day that he may partake of it on the second day, but under no circumstances may eat from this meat on the third day. If there's any that remains, as we talked about, it must be burnt up with fire. Verse 18. And if the one who eats of it from the flesh of the sacrifice of the peace offering on the third day, what happens? If there should be someone on that third day that eats from this uh, uh, sacrifice of the peace offering, it says, it is not acceptable. This one won't be accepted. This one who offers it, and it will not be thought concerning him, meaning he won't be considered by God. What he has just done has invalidated the offering, and it says, pigul yiye. This is that it's defiled. It is, is rejected by God. And notice something else. The punishment is very severe for doing this. What is this? Veha nefesh. That means the soul. Again, it can mean simply this individual. But it makes mention of the soul, of the one who eats from it. It says, this one is going to take up affliction. So this one is going to be be punished. He is going to lift up uh, avonah, which can also mean whether it's affliction or uh, the iniquity. He is going to bear his iniquity would probably be the most accurate way to translate that. Verse 19. The flesh which one will touch, 
in any type of, of defilement, that which is impure, he shall not eat. It should not be eaten. But rather, if it has any impurity, it says once more, Be'esh Yitzaref, with fire it shall be burnt up. And the flesh of anything that is pure. So now we see purity. It says he will eat of this flesh. So if the flesh has not been contaminated, meaning the meat, he can eat of it. But if it's been contaminated, it must be completely burnt up. Verse 20. The same word, hanefesh, that individual, that soul of that individual, which will eat of the flesh from the sacrifice of the peace offering, which is to the Lord, and he does so in his impurity. The impurity is upon him. This one, and we see even a greater punishment, not just that he's going to bear the iniquity, but what does it say? This soul, this individual, will be cut off from its people. Now, it's... The term here for people, from the people, but it's in the third person possessive feminine. And most scholars believe that we're talking about the kihila, the congregation. So he is going to be cut off from the congregation. There's a couple different interpretations of this. Some will say that it means that that he's put outside the camp and all the while that he's alive, He's never allowed to rejoin the children of Israel. He is an outcast. Others would say that this one is actually put to death. And some will say it will go so far as that this one's soul will be cut off from the kingdom of God, from the afterlife, that he will suffer uh, such a harsh punishment so you can make a determination those are the three possibilities verse 21 and a soul that touches anything that is impure defiled unclean in the impurity of a man or in the impurity of an animal So whether this one touches something, he's impure, whether it's because of some uh, human contact that renders him impure, unclean, defiled, or whether it's because he's touched some animal that's rendered him unclean, or any type of of sherkets. Now, this is something that has to do with uh, an impurity from a different source. It says, any type of these three impurities, if this one should eat from the meat of the sacrifice of the peace offering, which is unto the Lord, again, same punishment, the the soul of this one is cut off. That soul is cut off from his people. So it tells us that we need to be very concerned about impurity now today the laws of impurity aren't enforced why we have no temple we have no altar these things can't be uh, followed according to the letter of the law but there's principles here and what does that speak to we should not want to experience those things 
that are impure. Those things that relate to sin, sin is related directly to that which is unclean, that which is unacceptable to God. So today in this age, anything that's impure, immoral, unjust, unethical, those things that are against the character of God and the standards of God, we don't want to be associated with. And notice here, God speaks in very broad terms. Any type of impurity, whether the source is a man or an animal or some other means, this is highly important that we see it in this way. Now look, if you would, to verse 22. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, saying, All fat, and this is the choice portion of a sacrifice, all fat of the ox or the lamb or the goat, you shall not eat of it. This is not permissible. So when it's talking about the meat, now we find a a extra statement concerning it yes there's a portion that you can eat and we're talking about uh, both the one who offers it and the priest will come to the priest in a moment what he receives but we find here that fatty portion that that choice portion is not able to be eaten by anyone he says look again at the end of verse 23 lo to you shall not eat verse 24 and the fat of a nevela that is a dead animal an animal carcass and the the fat of a trefa this is an animal that's been uh, uh, torn into pieces it says you may use that it can be done for any type of work meaning those animals can be used the hides for example uh, perhaps other portions of that animal can be used for work for laborious things to make something but it cannot be eaten it says you shall not eat of it verse 25 for everyone who eats of this fat portion from the the animals which he will offer up from it a fire offering to the lord so all of this should be everyone who eats or all the food of this this burnt offering from an animal which he offers up from it it shall be made for a a fire offering to the lord and the one who partakes of it any of this food it says that one's soul shall be cut off from its people meaning the congregation the people of the congregation verse 26 another important aspect we don't eat blood now this has some very significant implications we see in the new testament in the book of acts that same prohibition for eating blood in regard to believers 
the Gentile believers who were coming to faith. It's the same thing for the Jewish believers. Why? There's one law for the Jew, one law for the Gentile. I realize that in the Messianic movement today, this is controversial. This is oftentimes rejected. So be it. I will take a very strong position that there is one lifestyle for the believer doesn't make a difference if you're a jewish believer or a gentile believer god's truth is applicable equally for all and he says here look at verse 26 and all the blood you shall not eat in all your dwelling places the bread or the blood excuse me of a fowl or of an animal oaf is usually a bird and behemoth a a domesticated animal one that is permissible to be offered up that blood you do not eat verse 27 and every soul meaning every person whom shall eat any of the blood what happens the soul of that one is cut off from its people meaning the congregation the people that are in the congregation they won't have anything to do with that one who eats blood now let's look at verse 28 and the lord spoke to moses saying speak to the children of israel saying the one who offers up a peace sacrifice unto the lord let him bring his offering unto the lord from his peace offering so he gives it it's unto the lord very important the priest assists but the direction the intent is unto the lord verse 30 his hands shall bring it with a fire offering unto the lord and again that fat portion which is upon the the uh breast so there's an animal and an animal has this chest area area and what it says is look again at at verse 30 it says his hands shall bring it with a fire offering unto the lord and the the fatty portion that choice portion which is upon the breasts he shall bring the breasts for what for a wave to wave it now usually this speaks of victory it speaks of a fulfillment meaning this accompanying this offer offering this peace offering is an action where that that breast and the fatty portion is waved and this is saying that god is going to act and bring about that that abundant peace that the will of god is going to be fulfilled in this one's life so the the breast is going to be waved he will wave it as a wave offering before the lord and what else does he do well with that very peace look at verse 31 and the priests will burn it burn what the fat upon the altar and it shall be that the breasts so no one can consume this this fatty portion what's called the chalev this is forbidden he burns it up totally upon the altar but the the breasts 
it will be to Aaron and to his sons. So the priests will receive that as a, a portion of their labor, the payment for their work. Verse 32, it gets more specific. And the, the right thigh shall be given as a donation to the priests from the, the peace offering, literally your peace offering. So in addition, we see that the right thigh is given to the priests as a donation in, in addition to the breasts. Verse 33, the one who offers up the blood, the blood of the peace offering, and the fatty portion from the children of Israel, to him shall be the right thigh uh, for a portion, mana. So again, we see that it's for the priest, but what priest? Not for the priests in general, but for the one who actually, look at verse 33, is the one who is offering up the blood. Why is that? Because the blood has a, a prominent role in the service. In the tabernacle and the temple, the blood is that key ingredient. So the one who deals with the blood, handles it properly, this is the one who's going to receive this, this payment of the, the right thigh. Look now to verse, verse 34. For the breasts of this wave offering and the right thigh, literally just says the thigh of the donation, I have taken from it of the children of Israel from their peace offerings and I who is speaking God and I will give them so those two things look again at verse 34 it says for the breast of the wave offering and the thigh for the donation I this is God speaking I have taken it from the children of Israel from their peace offerings and I have given it them I have given them to Aaron the priest and his sons. And notice it says, Le Chok Olam, for an many people will say everlasting uh, uh, statue or law. I would say for a kingdom law. And what this shows us is this it's a kingdom principle. And what is the kingdom principle? God is faithful to his servants. We're going to see that primarily, and hear this carefully, primarily it's in the kingdom of God that we're going to get the rewards. Now, what happens? There was, in the past, in the days of the tabernacle and the temple, there was an active priesthood. They did the work, and they were paid. They were supported. They took a portion of the offerings. But what does it have for us from a kingdom principle? It teaches us this, that all that we do in faithfulness, I'm going to say that again, all that we do in faithfulness, what does the book of Hebrews say? God is not uh, forgetful. What does that mean? God remembers all of our good deeds, and he is faithful to reward us. And where is that reward primarily coming? In the kingdom. Does that mean that God never rewards us in this age? Obviously, 
He's faithful. He's generous. But primarily, we should expect a kingdom reward. And that's why I believe that it says here, Lechok Olam, from the children of Israel. Meaning that this is a kingdom uh, law for the children of Israel. Primarily, when the kingdom is established. Look now at verse 35. This is the anointing of Aaron. And it's word mishchat. Mishchat comes from the word meshicha for anointing. Verse 35. This is the anointing of Aaron and the anointing of his sons from the fire offering of the Lord. And the day that, that he has offered them to make them priests unto the Lord. So there is that anointing. And this anointing has with it this, this payment. That's what verse 35 is saying. Verse 36, which the Lord has commanded to give to them on the day of his inauguration. Meaning when, when God inaugurated the priests into service, and, and this also has to do the same teaching when a priest comes into service, as we've talked about. It also has relevance. That time that he's inaugurated allows him to partake of this. And he receives it from who? From the children of Israel. And again, this is an eternal law. Chukat olam ledoratam. An eternal law throughout your generations. And again, I believe it's best understood when it says an eternal law, a kingdom law, a statute that has kingdom implications. And what is that? Well, remember, God is going to make his people, ultimately his new covenant people. This will not be relevant for those who do not enter into the new covenant. And we know that in the last days, there's going to be a remnant of of the Jewish people that will look upon the one who has been pierced and they're going to accept him. And there's going to be a remnant of the Jewish people in the last days and there's been a remnant from the beginning of the gospel of Jewish people who are part of that new covenant experience. Not just Jewish people, but many Gentile people as well. And praise God for that. This was his purpose, his plan originally that he would bring from humanity a people from every tribe, every nation, every people, every tongue, meaning language, that he would bring them unto himself, that he would redeem them through this good news of the gospel. Now look at verse 37. This is the law, and it's the law of the burnt offering, the grain offering, the sin offering, the guilt offering, and we have here miluim, which is this this putting the the priests into position. And the day that they were in, by the way, uh, miluim today, if you hear that in modern Hebrew, it has to do with the reserves being brought into service. So it's simply a word which means being brought into the fullness of service. This is what it's talking about here. For those sacrifices, and look at them, it is the, the 
burnt offering, the grain offering, the sin sacrifice, the guilt sacrifice, and the 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 sacrifice which brought the priest into service. And also, you look here, the peace sacrifice. So how many are there? Ola, Mincha, Chatat, Asham, Miluim, and Shlemim. Six. Now I think it's very significant because of the significance of that number six that there is six sacrifice mentioned here because six is the number of grace and grace is connected to the purposes of God, the will of God. Obviously the grace of God, but the grace of God works. And I've said this many times recently, the grace of God works in order to bring about the will of God. What's the implication of that? When you are recipient of God's grace that comes through Messiah Yeshua and faith in Him through that gospel message, that new covenant, you are going to be transformed, regenerated, and you are going to have a desire to live according to the will of God. Well, look at our last verse, verse 38. It says, Which the Lord commanded Moshe at where? At Mount Sinai. On the day of his commanding, the children of Israel, and what type of commanding? To offer up their offerings. And this word for offering is korban. We've come across it many times. For the children of Israel to offer up their offerings unto the Lord, and they do so where? In the wilderness of Sinai. Why is that important? Because wilderness is there. And this word, whenever it's in the scripture, it reminds us of being dependent upon God. What that tells me is this. All these things that the people were doing, these six different sacrifices and offerings that are mentioned, they all have to be done in a spirit of dependence upon God. What does that mean? Relying upon him trusting him believing in him that's the message of the midbar that wilderness that desert you can't rely upon the physical the natural you have to rely upon god and let me conclude by saying this it is when you rely trust depend upon god it's that dependence upon him that prepares you for worship As long as you are trusting in yourself, relying upon your ability, those resources you have, as long as you think those things are sufficient, you're not ready to worship God. You're not ready to what? To be brought into his presence. Well, we'll conclude with that for now. We'll we'll gather back together in a week from now when we study once more from the book of Leviticus and chapter 8. Until that time, may God bless you. Shalom from Israel. Well, we hope you will benefit from today's message and share it with others. Please plan to join us each week at this time and on this channel for our broadcast of loveisrael.org. Again, to find out more about us, please visit our website, loveisrael.org. There you will find articles and numerous other lectures by Baruch. These teachings are in video form may download them or watch them in streaming video. Until next week, may the Lord bless you in our Messiah Yeshua 
that is, Jesus, as you walk with Him. Shalom from Israel.